It is November 1st, 2021. This is Rook. She's an award-winning photographer and producer who arrived from Iran in 2010 and quickly established herself in L.A. Now Monush Nabavi has launched her own movie studio and is ready to take on the industry. She joins us from Los Angeles coming up, but first, she's a fashion designer who quite literally created a new trend in handbags with her Taro Zade line. Now Taro Kazemfer has been tapped as the designer to watch everywhere from Vogue to Harper's Bazaar. How did a woman born in America and raised in Europe become so influenced by Iran. Tara joins us from London coming up. This is Conversations from, to, and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Hi there, welcome to episode 153 of Rook. Nice to be talking to you. Hope you're keeping well wherever you are tuning in from around the world. Hello to you from Toronto, from Canada. Salam, Dustan Aziz. Durud, Durud Bashama. Today, a study in contrast, you might say, Kian. Two smart, uh, successful Iranian women in their early 30s but differences in outlook and identity. I'm thinking Tara Kazanfar, kid of the diaspora, mm-hmm. like you and I. Yeah. Born in Texas, grew up in London and Paris, uh, and yet yearns for all things Iranian, calls herself an Iranian designer. Her handbags and designs uh, have, have already become hugely popular around the world, worn by influencers, etc. They are influenced by all things, she says, Iranian. She embraces her Iranian side. On the other hand, Manush Nabavi just came from, he grew up in Iran, mm-hmm. came from there 10 years ago in Los Angeles, building her own movie studio. You know, she's doing really well as a producer, a creative director, casting director, prefers to work, she says, with Westerners, not with Iranians. You want the opposite of what you have. Growing there up. you go. I, I blame it on that. The uh, the chaman is always greener <laughs> exactly. on the other side. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That is the voice of uh, Groovy Shia, Hi. known for his grooviness and his hirsute uh, figure, a hairy man now. And uh, that's Captain Reza. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. And uh, this is the fabulous Keon. Hello. Hello, Keon. So those two people are coming up. Exciting. I'm excited. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Two powerful yeah. women. So there you go. That and and you as well. So in sure. the combination, oh, two powerful, powerful women. And Rosa as well. Actually, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, happy post Halloween. Happy post Halloween. Everybody. Uh, I know. See, Kia. My impression of you. What is that? Is that you? 
you have people who would help you get dressed to get some outfit <laughs> and some well she's got some yeah she's it's like fun. calls up <laughs> she's got a spot you know but hair she has a spa she's got a hair person she's got some <laughs> can you get me a costume and then somebody runs and there's no not that one and somebody else comes and basically and then like they, the a, one, a person goes running out of the room crying and uh, the wrong wig and then you go to like this ball like like beauty and the beast style like this fancy ball <laughs> where you're dressed immaculately in some uh you know amazing costume that has been designed for you and your your andom your hikal hikal uh, what is that I, I don't know what's the word for andom the figure andom yes <laughs> so uh is that true i mean is that what happened on the weekend uh, usually yes but not the, not this year oh. i didn't have the hosele this year oh you didn't have the know, you, just, no energy for it, halloween it depends usually i don't know i always look forward to halloween dressing up and just the excitement of like you know going to a party and you didn't dressing. do it not this year no Oh, no, you did you? Out. I'll tell you who had the energy for Halloween. Who had the energy for Halloween? The kids on my street. <laughs> I am telling you. Now, I happen to live in a, I, I live in a very kid-friendly area. Uh, in fact, I don't know what the hell I'm doing there. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's like everybody looks at me like, where's your kids? Well, me and Oogie here. are looking at each other, you know. But uh, it, it was magical. Yeah. My street was really in the spirit. I counted, I think, about a, I almost ran out of candy. Because at first, I, w I got all these chocolate bars, and at first I was handing two out at a time. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, I was like, ah, no, you just get one coffee crisp, because I was worried. I, I think I had about 150 kids. Wow. Yeah, no come to the door. Is that usually the case? Like every year? I felt like it was a lot of pent up, you know, they, the kids needed right. their candy. Like it's been COVID for a couple of years. Exactly. It's like, fuck that. I'm go I need candy. I need to do Halloween. I but my street was, and I'll tell you, it's always the same arc. The little ones come around 6 p.m. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a yeah. really yeah. tiny ones yeah. with their, but mind you, I was gonna say with their parents, but all, almost all the kids come with their parents these days. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, like in my day, yeah. you know, the kids, the, you, you, you know, parents would send you out there like animals yeah. out on the street, <laughs> right. running yeah, around, there was no parents, you know, <laughs> come home at 3 a.m. with a bag of, uh, I mean, they, you know, no one cared. But yeah. now the parents stand at the, uh, you know, the sidewalk and the really? kid come up. In some cases, the parents actually come up and say hello and mm. it was very nice it's very neighborly but it's interesting how it's changed anyway so the little ones at 6 p.m then the majority come from like around 7 till 8 p.m right yeah yeah that's where i got about a hundred kids and then you know the then at nine o'clock or thereafter <laughs> oh. you know you know where i'm going with this yeah, you get course. the two you get you get like two 16 year olds yeah. you know <laughs> a couple of guys like a couple of dudes with no costume on no check or treat like one of them smoking you know like a, <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, I, what do I? You, I have to give you candy, and then, but then you got to give it to them, otherwise they're gonna egg the house or oh, something. Yeah. They're gonna oh, yeah. take it out on you, rob you. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, I and I got those kids. I mean, I swear to God, around, you know, sure enough, around 9 p.m., you know, the door. <laughs> Door rings. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Hi, guys. Yeah. Check or G. Give me some fucking candy. You know? <laughs> I just pour out the rest of the bucket yeah, right, into their bag. Take whatever you need. <laughs> uh, here's my wallet, please. <laughs> uh, now, I don't think, I mean, I was asking around, I asked Super P and a couple of people, Halloween kind of exists in Iran but like as an excuse to just put more makeup on for some people but, <laughs> but it's not really a thing right Shia yes it's not. we don't have trick or treat in Iran but we have 
like ha- Halloween parties, which is almost animal parties. You, know, and you, <laughs> you go crazy, and it's a yeah. It's a oh, I see. W- w- animal parties. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, I mean very uh, hardcore parties. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. But so, but that's an adult thing, or like like the, yes, you know, yes, yeah. Yes. So there's no kids don't go out no, in the streets and no, 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 no. and go from door to door. I think it's mainly a North American thing. My friends in London were telling me the same thing. Like the adults all have their Halloween parties, but no kids. True. Trick or treat. I, I remember I grew up in London and we didn't have Halloween. We had really? Guy Fox Day because there's a guy. Yeah, <laughs> what? Guy Fox is a. Be different. He's a yeah, and you, but it's a whole character <laughs> that 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 was invented and and he's a he's a bandit and then on Guy Fox Day you burn him. You you put <laughs> you create fuck? a little effigy of Guy Fox and you burn him. But anyway, it's um. <laughs> Wait, uh, how can you just move on from what the <laughs> hell is Guy Fox? You never, you never heard anyway, of Guy. No, we just had John you? Lennon party. We burned <laughs> down. The You've what never you heard burn? of Guy Fox? No. What right, the hell yeah, are Guy you Fox Day. He was uh, Guy Fox was like a notorious character, and then on the day on Guy Fox Day, which is kind of like Halloween, like it's like a kids celebrated and stuff. You you create. You, I think you build a big bonfire and you put Guy Fox on top of it. Why you burn did they want to wow. burn Guy Fox? Because he was a bad person. Oh, okay. yeah. I think I right. that or he was what? unfairly burned. Is One it, of the two. <laughs> but, uh, is it on the same day as Halloween? Uh, I don't. No, if it's the same day, no. But it's so it's weird. it was our thing. Um, but but Halloween, then you know when it came to Canada and Halloween was, and it was such a big deal as kids. You know, you 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 know collecting candy. I mean, the whole lore of it, the whole excitement of it. Uh, and then of course you get older, and it's an excuse for um, you know Party. people to dress like they're going to a club. You know, like oh, what are you supposed to be? I'm Catwoman. It's like because you're wearing a hot Cat dress ears. and some ears. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but but I figured in Iran, I mean, there wasn't because there's a couple of um, Instagram sites and stuff I check out that uh-huh. are like one of them is like they're kind of promoting things in Tehran or whatever and so one of them had people with pumpkins and costumes on and I thought do they have Halloween or like do you go maybe door to door and everyone gives each other a Quran and, and it says please <laughs> go read the Quran and yeah, uh, yeah I was, there's an ongoing argue that should we have Halloween in Iran because it's not a Persian tradition and there is uh, there is some people that they are saying oh it's uh, like a Western tradition and let's mm-hmm. give give up on uh, having that and there is some other people that they 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 want to party they 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 want a reason to you <laughs> right, know to right. yeah but wait, for Nowruz don't the kids go around and Pashok do something Zani. yeah, 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 yeah something yeah, yeah. like we they have get something similar to that that we go they go door to door I don't know if they still at do Char that at Suri actually oh in Charshamba Suri so it's yeah. before Nowruz right so what do they say the, when they go door we to go door to door and then they trick or treat yeah well something like that I suppose yeah like but they grab like a pot and 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 a spoon and they bang the pot like the spoon against the pot and they're like ah give us some money or something right wow. no they get like little like uh, what do you call them ajil ajil right yeah, I don't know. I'm, you guys grew up in Iran. Is the, are the nuts packaged, or are they in like people's <laughs> no, greasy hands, hands, and they just put them <laughs> in the? Totally, <laughs> I mean, it's like I like how uh, you know it, it, the Persian version always has to be like some aggressive. Like they come with like a pot and pan. Give yeah. me something, you know. It's like <laughs> <laughs> banging on. Here, yeah. children dress as a ballet dancer. Could no. I have some candy? You know. <laughs> but so, where do you stand, Shia? On the on the is it Western imperialism for you to have uh, Halloween in Iran? No. Or? Actually, I, I would like to have a Halloween party in Tehran, 
but some people do it religiously. Well, for, forget the party, but what about like for kids? I mean, it's supposed to be a kid. <laughs> it's not just supposed to be <laughs> an excuse to party. It's, it's a, it's a magical event for kids, you know. It, you, all the houses, I mean, I don't know if uh, in Riverdale where you live, but you know, in, in on my street, including my house, we, we really go all out decorating. So it's kind of like wondrous. You walk down the street and there's all these, it looks like you're in, in a theme park or I something, see. you know? No, I mean, instead of that I would prefer to promote Qashogzani, which is a traditional uh, Persian, and it's better to promote our tradition. I think you should think of that next time we bring some Mars bars and coffee crisp into the <laughs> office, and you shouldn't eat those because those are Western. Well, you can get, you can ask for, you can have it for Qashogzani, you know? Yeah. You can ask for the same chocolate. Are you allowed to eat Western <laughs> chocolate bars? Um, yeah. well, uh, personally, I prefer to have nuts instead of. Oh. Yeah. That's okay. Healthy. Captain Reza will give you some uh, Ajil <laughs> out of his hands. I, yeah. I thought you were going to go totally different with that. <laughs> I knew you thought that, and I preempted myself. I preempted myself, Keon June. you got to be careful That's the way what you, you followed up yeah. with that. <laughs> uh, by the way, I'm seeing the picture of Guy Fox night. Yes. It's really dangerous it seems like <laughs> no really it's can you uh, can, do you have a do you have did you google guy fox yes okay yes, what yes. does it say was i right about okay I, also i, I had not done yeah, it since i was a kid uh, is an annual commemoration observed on f november 5th okay mm. primarily in the united kingdom yes and uh, so november i think reza can say it more fluently okay <laughs> I don't know about that. Can we, <laughs> yeah. Let's just move on. Guy Fox Night, also known uh. as Guy Fox Day Bonfire Night, is an uh, annual commemoration yeah, observed yeah. on November 5th, primarily in the United Kingdom. Its history begins with the events of uh, uh, 5 November 19... November oh 5... November 5th? <laughs> so far he's just said what Shia exactly said. Exactly what he just said. Just oh. slower. <laughs> somehow. <laughs> Was arrested okay. while oh, okay. guarding explosives. Oh, the what? plotters has placed beneath the House of Lords, celebrating the fact that King James, uh, had, King James the first, had survived the attempt on his life. Right, Guy oh. Fox was trying to blow up the yeah, legislature. Or so the, this or is a, yeah. this is real life. Like this actually happened. There's a man named mm -hmm. Gay Fox. Gay Fox. Gay Fox. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it his name is Maybe. Guy, but, but yeah, yeah. Guy <laughs> it's unclear what his uh, orientation. <laughs> Was. 1608 nobody <laughs> but that's unrelated <laughs> to burning him <laughs> so this is based on history though like this this man actually existed uh, yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah 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 guy okay. fox but it turns into but it was some there's some element with kids now and i mean i i know there was some guy fox day with i mean i guess i equate the two because it's you so know close. it's scary and uh, it's monstrous and and it's know, very close november and 5th, it's close it's coming time, right yeah. up I just remember when we first came here and there was Halloween. I didn't really know what it was. But we have Guy Fawkes Day. You know, uh, like that. You know, and, yeah. <clears throat> well, we've learned a lot. Yes, uh, indeed. Which is that uh, <laughs> Shia will not observe any, any <laughs> Western holidays. <laughs> Reza can't read. Reza. And Guy Fox tried to blow up legislation. A big thank you to... Uh, Katy Kavandi Immigration Services. Katy Kavandi Immigration Services are certified by the immigration consultants of the Canada Regulatory Council and deliver exceptional results on your immigration application. Their firm has maintained exemplary standards of professional practice and will give you peace of mind. You can rely on them for advice and representation. Also, 
Kathy Kavandi Immigration Services Inc. have officially obtained agency for the American University of Antigua College of Medicine, the AUA, throughout Canada. This university offers a medical program that serves international students who are inspired to become doctors in the U.S., in Canada, U.K., or other countries, and enables graduates to apply for residency and fellowship throughout these countries and then apply for permanent residency. So you can go to the Antigua College of Medicine and find your way through there to the U.S., Canada, U.K. For more information, Kathy Kavandi Immigration. So on Instagram, it's Immigration. Uh, thank you very much to Kathy Kavandi and her company for supporting this episode of Rook. I think one of them was like bearded, like a couple of teenagers who came at nine thirty in my house. <laughs> Do they have no sm- shame? S- smoking a, a, a you know a, a spliff, yeah, like yeah, trick or treat. Um, I will give you what I have left. <laughs> it is cute though. I love Halloween for that reason. Oh, uh, you kids, know what? Just adorable. I got so caught up in it yesterday. It was so yeah. magical. I I actually just after a while stood outside my door with my with a bowl of oh, candy because I was just oh. watching the street. Was yeah. it was. Just lovely Aww. and all these kids you know dressed up in cute little yeah. outfits and yeah it was, it was fabulous and really. the weather was awesome was yes. that, i think that was part well, of the well, well shia what about you i mean now did you hand out candy no have, why, why didn't the you third floor and there uh, is no key in the uh, building and uh-huh. yeah did you hand out candy reza no i was out of town i came well, guys actually, the persians eh? yeah, yeah i came <laughs> in bah humbug you know did you hand out candy? I did. It was, right. it was very sweet. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. See? Generous. No, I ate all the candies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Thursdays, we are doing our uh, a new series that we launched about a month ago called The Contemporary History of Iran that is getting a bunch of attention and a, a whole bunch of shares, a whole bunch of clicks. The Contemporary History of Iran. So last week... Uh, our episode was entitled How the Iran-Iraq War Benefited Khomeini. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, drawn quite a bit of attention and uh, a number of comments that we will be, uh, I think, getting to later in the show. Mm-hmm. This week, this week, the title, I'm not going to say who the guest is. It's, it's a big name guest, but the, the title of, of this episode of the Contemporary History of Iran is The Creation of Kanun. Mm. What's a kanun? Well, now that's fabulous, Keon. The, that's why it you're the fabulous Keon. Yeah, <laughs> because you played right into my hands there. Because I looked over at Reza and, and uh, Shia. Yes. That's your name, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and I they looked at me with familiarity. Oh, we know exactly what he's talking about. I looked over to you and you know no idea. a blank face. Right. Right, because you didn't grow up in Iran. No, I did not. And if you grew up in Iran past, let's say, 1965, you would know what Kanun is. The Persian name is? Kanun Parvarish Fikri Kudakan Vanojavanan. Right. <laughs> it's like a long you, title. You just lost me even more. <laughs> it's a long title. Basically, this institute that was created to um, first of all with the with the with the intention of helping working class kids and those without means but mm. was created to help kids uh, learn uh, and get involved in the arts and the creative sector wow. so the first children's libraries in Iran and then moving into cinema and painting and poetry yeah. and uh, and it became it started with this a new children's library in Tehran. Mm-hmm. And then it, it became this institute that, you know, 
became famous throughout Iran. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about this mm-hmm. uh, like it's a piece of history, but you guys would have because this yeah. this continued even after the revolution. Is it still happening? It still it wow. still exists. Yeah, and and it it's still a major thing in Iran, yes, right? It's, yes. it's a in fact you'd say it's a great resource in a place where there's not a lot of resources for kids to engage in arts and culture and definitely yeah. it's a it's a legit place for if you want to educate your kid in a very good way hmm. Kanun Parvers is a place that you have who to know who founded this well it was founded uh, the, in fact the the person it was founded by is related to our guest on Thursday uh-huh. so um, um, because we've got her but you know I have to say I mean we'll get into this more with our guest on Thursday but uh, it's impressive it was clearly something that had the Qudrat the strength mm-hmm. to continue after the revolution the fact yeah. that it wasn't closed down I think mm-hmm. there was a pause but it's then continued shows the power of that institution you know not just in how big it had grown but um but what it has meant to you know generations yeah. so of folks in was Europe. this was this for males there was no 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 it's, it's for both male it's and female yeah, 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 yeah. to this day yeah I think so. Yeah, they probably have okay. separate classes. Right. Okay. Anyway, for God's sake, listen to the episode. Well, that's good. <laughs> I want to know now. Maybe you could learn some history by listening to the contemporary history I do. of Iran every week. Thank you. On uh, brought to you by Rook Media on Thursdays right here on these platforms. Uh, we're coming to you on rookmedia.com. It is there that you can link to all of our platforms. We are on our ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. We're on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, and CastBox. If you'd like to see some visuals with Rook, switch over to YouTube right now. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in both English and in Persian, check us out on Telegram. And if you want to support us, you can become a patron. Uh, for a few dollars a month and support this endeavor, uh, go to our website, rookmedia.com, and press the red support us button, and it'll lead you through whatever you uh, want to um, sponsor us for. You can, including becoming a sponsor of Rook. We'd love you to do that as well. In the coming days on Rook, Yasmin Nagdi who is a principal ballet dancer in the UK. I love the ballet, so I'm looking this forward to This is about that. as big as it gets to be in the UK Royal Ballet. Mm-hmm. You asked me Nardi, obviously Persian background with a name like that, Kian. Yes, that was your first Persian. clue, yeah. Uh, Seper Hadod, <laughs> the author of the novel. Uh, first of all, Seper is a, uh, a musician himself, um, part of the uh, group Shaheen and Seper, uh, but now the author of a novel called A Hundred Sweet Promises, the true tale of his grandfather, who was Nasr Sultan Minbashian. Correct. Wow. Who was an amazing composer and one of the founders of the Tehran Conservatory of Music. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, also in the coming days uh, on Rook, uh, Fred Ariyan and Ahmad Tabrizi on being community builders and Benjamin Ben Marco, who's a blogger and travel writer. Uh, massively successful guy in terms of his following who journeys around the world and makes these video documentaries of places he goes. That could be something you could do. Kira. That is something I wish well, to do. Well, Why can't I get that kind you, of occupation? You have the means. You have the, right. the ball cap. takes a lot You're, of effort, you know. <laughs> yes. uh, we, ha- we do have some letters uh, today. Yeah. We, we have letters. <laughs> this just shows how like... Uh, 
how do I pu- put this? Uh, how divided, divided, yeah, yeah, divided yeah. our community is. Uh, specifically on the episode about uh, Faradiba and the rise of Iranian art, uh-huh. we got a lot of... Let- Actually, I've c- come to mention that uh, Faradiba... Fadiba, yes. <laughs> the, the conjunction Fadiba. of Fadiba. <laughs> Fadiba herself, the Shah Majesty Shahbanu, yeah. she shared the episode and that got quite a bit of attention. Uh-huh. So, yeah, yeah, a lot of people were And so on there's that different one. reactions to this yeah. episode. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> I should look forward to that. Indeed. Uh, all right. We'll get to the letters. We'll get to a lot more. The Fabulous Keon, Gruby Shia, Captain Reza. Stick around. Let's get to the first of our two guests today. My first guest is a French American Iranian fashion designer who finds her inspiration from geometry and architectural symmetry as well as the colors of Iranian art combined with Western traditions. Tarok Azanfar was born in Houston, Texas, raised in Paris and then London. She pursued her interest in education in graphic design, going to the Parsons School of Design in New York City. After graduating, she worked as an art director for esteemed magazines, including White Wall and Gentleman's Journal. She quit that impressive job to follow her lifelong dream of having her own brand. And in 2017, Tara launched Tara Zadeh Handbags. It was an immediate hit. Her work and the brand have been featured in Vogue and Harper's Bazaar and have also been part of major fashion shows and events. She has sold her collections to Netta Porte, uh, Browns, Farfetch, Selfridges, Harvey Nichols, Bergdorf Goodman, Bloomingdale's, and her bags have been worn by top influencers and celebrities like Irina Shaikh, Emma Thompson, Carly Kloss, and Rocky Barnes. And most recently, Tara has embarked on a new project to shine a light on and celebrate Iranian women creatives from around the world called Zanai. And right now, Tarak Azanfar joins me from London, England today. Hello. Hello. Hello to you. Hello to everyone. Very nice to have you on the program. That's quite a resume so far, even even for a person in their early 30s, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that makes me really, um, I'm blushing. You can't really tell, but I'm really blushing just hearing all of that. <laughs> Some of it has happened so quickly. I mean, you... You, you made the jump to fashion designer only three or four years ago, and I'll, I'll get to all of what was involved in doing that. But to see you in Harper's Bazaar or um, in Invoke, all of these places called the designer to watch, the new designer to watch, um, what was that like for you for things to happen that quickly? Um, I mean, it was super overwhelming, but very, you know, very exciting. And uh, it, I was so honored and, you know, you feel so rewarded. Um, of your hard work but you know I'm not going to lie that I, I feel very lucky and also you know the power of Instagram it's it's all about the power of social media it, things can go really fast um, when you know when you have one influencer who spots your bag and starts wearing it during Paris Fashion Week and then you know editors phot- photographers street style all this they start capturing it and, and writing up stories about it and it, it's just like snowflake ball, what, how do you say, you know, when it's a domino effect, it's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It just went really fast. Um, from to, to, yeah, 2017, September uh, in Paris, that's where it all started. You know, I, I've sometimes said, and I believe that um, successful uh, companies, um, musical ideas, um, successful fashion lines, oftentimes successful products, successful gadgets, Oftentimes, they all are rooted in one really good idea. 
that was the genesis of it. Uh, is that part of what happened here? You just had a really good idea around handbags. Well, to be fair, um, when I launched Tarzade, so my signature bag, uh, the Azar, uh, which is a round uh, bag, it's a bracelet bag. And so that was kind of new at the time, um, having this like kind of party bag where you can just wear it around your arm and have both of your hands free. Um, and also the metallic fitting looked like a kind of jewel. So it really, you know, a simple outfit. It, it just dressed up the whole um, outfit. Wait, what? That, that, was, that was new? People didn't do that before? Did what? The bracelet bag? Yeah. No, it was kind of new. Really? No. Yeah. Mm. So that's because after that, <laughs> to, be, to be very honest, like brands like Louis Vuitton, two seasons after copied me <laughs> and you know they you know so then you started seeing a lot of new um handbags designed uh, as a circle shape but to be really honest with you and I, and you know i've I, I know this because not only because of the research and just being in the fashion industry but yeah i think i i was one of the first ones to to, to create a bag uh, designed that way so that was it just instantly became it bag that's what you would, I yeah. would say. And by the way, be as honest as you can. The show's called Rook after all. So, yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> be Rook. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, but part of what's amazing about that, though, is that you're also the new kid in town. I mean, you, uh, not just in town, but in the industry, you you were a yeah. graphic designer. That's what you went to school for. I didn't, yes. I, I, I'm not necessarily familiar with the, the crossover between graphic designers and fashion designers. Is there a, a regular kind of crossover? And if not, how was it so easy seemingly for you to segue? No, so so there's a couple of things. First of all, um, my gra background in graphic design helped me immensely to design my handbags. Of course, they were just you know two D, three D mockups that I was doing myself. But then I found a design studio who developed my ideas into you know the real thing, like prototypes. So having that background in graphic design helped me. But then, in terms of industry. Um, you know, let's say from New York to London, uh, I'm kind of a social girl. Yeah, I go out a lot. Um, you have been called the New York disco queen. No, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I have a network of people from, you know, like people from the fashion industry, art, music. And when I started Tarazade in London, I had people that were, you know, they were rooting for me, you know, mm. um, some girls that were influencers really top influencers in London. And I was also very fortunate that I knew one of the buyers of Moda Operendi. So Moda Operendi, it's basically, um, you can directly buy what mm. comes out of the, from the runway. And so I was very fortunate to, they, they did a trunk show of Tara Zadeh, um, the summer of 2017. And that was crazy because you know, uh, it's followed by yeah. editors, all press people, um, celebrities. And so I started getting random emails. <laughs> like it was like a tsunami. Honestly, it was, it was insane. I didn't know what to do with it. Um, it was also new to me. And, and that was the time where I was like, okay, I think I need to take, I need to get a PR to deal with press because I need to deal with logistics and designing the next collection and, 
dealing with day-to-day stuff and press i just can't handle answering people and you know i was getting called by you know the different celebrities oh you know sarah sampayo um she's a victoria's secret model she was going to like one of these big vogue events in new york and her stylist contacted me asking for a selection of handbags and so things like that you know my right. pr would deal with that not um, a bad problem to have no no super no no it was uh, <laughs> you know, it was insane it was in all the all these different publications and i mean i wasn't tagged it wasn't like oh sarah sampayo is wearing Farazade. it wasn't like that people recognized right. the Azar clutch, right. you know, and it got reshared a lot on Instagram. And my friends were tagging me on like, it was on Vogue, WWD, and people were like, ah, oh, she's wearing Tars all day. Anyway. I, I, I love, by the way, that it's the Azar clutch that is your signature yeah. because I think you know my my mom's yes. uh, Persian name is Azar, and, and uh, yes. uh, so that's that's close to my heart. I, I, I want to ask you about the design of the clutch, but 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 just take me back to that moment because, um, especially for an Iranian kid who's done so well, you know, you you go to Parsons, which is a major school of design, the new school. You you graduate. You're you you're working at these major magazines. You have a really good Good job at Gentleman's Journal. Um, you know, you're only in your late twenties at that point. Uh, you could be forgiven for settling into a lifelong career in that, you know, in that field when you're doing so well. Uh, tell me about the the precipitant or that decision to say, okay, I'm going to actually leave the safety, uh, the cocoon of having this good job um, with an established institution and and start my own thing. Yeah. So. Um I have a really great group of uh, girlfriends in London, some of them who were starting their brand at that time. One was a ju- doing jewelry, one was doing hats. And I was like, you know what? It's so empowering, you know? And they were the similar age. They also had a back, one had a background in business and just was going into fashion. And I was like, you know, you know you're having discussion with friends and you're like, yeah, I could do this. It's like now or never, you know. I mean, not now or never, but I don't know. It's really an exciting time, and I thought, why not? And 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 I guess also I'm lucky that I had the support of my family, of my parents. I mean, that that is very, um, you know, I had the financial support of my mother. That's undeniably the, you know, not given to everybody. So, you know, when I presented the project to my mom, I had done a lot of research. I had put a whole like dossier together i had found a studio in london the cost of it the breakdown how long it was going to take me to develop my first prototype so like i had a solid plan to present to my mom i was actually going to ask you i mean that was my next question did you have the idea of wanting to go solo with your own brand first or did you have the idea of the specific handbag first so i know you might ask me this question but um i took a trip to iran end of 2016 took my husband boyfriend at the time um it was maybe his second or third time there with me and this time we took a whole you know we went we went everywhere i mean not everywhere iran is very very (laughs) enormous but uh, we went to you know esfahan kashan shiraz and i was telling my husband i was like oh my god oh my god i know what i'm gonna do I know what I'm going to do with my life. Like, I don't know, it was, you know, stars and like light bulb. My whole idea for my brand became clear. Like I was seeing all these geometric forms in my mind and 
and then I started drawing them in my uh, in my little sketchbook, and so that was part of my plan, you know. And I think my mom really liked it because I was thinking for a long time, what am I going to call it? My name is Tara Azanfar, and I wanted to like make something up, but it took me so long and so long. I didn't have any ideas. I was like, I'm just going to call it my name. But my mom's last name is Yusef Zadeh. And so I took the Zadeh because, you know, obviously it means born of. And it has a nice, you know, nice tone to it and it makes sense. And I don't know, my mom was really happy about that. And um, so, yeah, I don't know, does that answer your question? <laughs> I mean, it, it does in, in terms of you had this idea. I actually want to, uh, you're right, I do want to get to the, the Iran piece and the inspiration that comes from Iran and being Iranian. Um, but it, just just for a moment to stick with the Azad uh, clutch and, and the handbag, because I know you've also said that you loved handbags your whole life. Like this is like, it, it wasn't like this just came to you. I mean, you've you've trafficked in handbags. You, you, yeah, you've I, carried around handbags. I was known to always have these like cool pieces, not designers, like just like random bags that I would find because I traveled a lot. And so bags that I would find in like markets, bazaars and, you know, um, from South America to uh, Middle East, um, Tunisia, Morocco. And I was just always known to have these like colorful, weird shaped handbags so obviously you i mean people can google you and we've uh, and we'll put up photos on people who are watching this but in terms of the the folks who are listening to this as a podcast can you describe the genius that is the that is the tarazade clutch bag like what 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 is it about it that makes it that made it different i guess now it's been knocked off by a major designers yeah. as you say also the fact that it's round a round bag a bracelet bag um so that was totally new just the way you hold the bag uh, you put it around your arm like i said before both of your hands are free and then the um, geometric form it's it's a triangular a square and a circle it's an interesting collision for you because you're really into design and even architecture and then you're also into colors and uh, spiritual richness and uh, and so you throw that all together and, and that's yeah. what we see in that handbag right yeah yeah because i i started doing it in, in like you know simple colors um well actually no my first collection i had it in like a, a off-white black then i had this very strong red purple and blue um and then after that i can't even tell you i did it in like pink pvc and black pvc and but yeah no i had a lot of fun with it because yeah i love playing with colors and textures and um so yeah i had my signature pieces and then every season i would have i would introduce new styles but then you know the signature pieces i would develop it in different colors and uh, material yeah. By the way, for people listening, when I called you the New York disco queen, it probably sounded like I was being sassy and just uh, using a moniker. But that—that's actually what one, I'll of, take your, that. one of your no, closest—you no, you, know—one of your closest friends called you that, right? Uh, oh, I, oh yeah, okay, I'll take that. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's not—he's not, he's not, uh, not wrong. <laughs> uh, so let's get to the identity piece because it, it's certainly one of the most interesting things about you and your success. When people ask you where you're from, you always say Iranian. And, and, you know, on the face of it, that is counterintuitive. It's surprising for a, a kid born in the U.S., reared in Paris and based in London, who's never lived in Iran. Why do you think you self-identify so strongly as Iranian? 
why i don't know like man i i just i feel so iranian it's so part of who i am even though i speak in farsi with such a strong lajje um you know i go back every year i still have family there um and i just oh i also just hate that people see iran they don't see iran for its people you know they always talk about like i mean you know even people from my husband's family like when we were when i was taking him to iran they're like oh is it safe like, oh my god of course it's safe i mean it's like a safe place the one of the safest place in the middle east um it's just all this you know this image that people have of of iran that's why i started zanai also but i don't know but I think really think love- about it think about it for a moment because it's very it dovetails with um, so much so with what we we talk about a fair bit on this show. In fact, it's in frankly, it's part of the raison d'etre for this show, which is mm. here you are, somebody who was born in Houston, not New York, who uh, but you've lived, you know, in the major centers of the iconic centers of Western civilization of Western culture, uh, yep. London, New York, Paris. Um, and but you you can't quit Iran even though you've never lived there. I get it, of no. course, because I'm hosting yeah. this show and I've never lived there. But but yeah. I'm trying to. But I'm on the the ongoing quest to figure out why. And I and I want to. I mean, it's our family background. You you visited there a few times. But what is it that makes you feel like in your DNA this is who you are? Oh, such a tough question. I don't know honestly. I because like I said, I grew up. Um, I, I speak Farsi to my mom. Uh, all her friends are Iranian in Paris. Yeah, we do no rules. I mean, like, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I would go once a year, maybe twice a year. I don't know. I just really feel Iranian. <laughs> you know, one of the ironies is that um, some people who either live in Iran or who are new have recently left Iran and moved to the West would consider you really Khadiji. You know that, right? Oh, yeah. Even when I go there, I have my cousin who lives there. He's like, oh, you're so Khariji. I can see from a mile away. The way you walk, I can see that you're you're Farangi. I'm like, from the way I walk, he's like, yeah. I know. They say that. I don't know what the walk is. I'm try- I want to walk- yeah. learn to walk like an Iranian. I, I don't get it. I want to walk like an Iranian. <laughs> oh, my God. And also, I don't, I didn't, I mean, I'm not against nose jobs. Everybody has no nose job around me, but I didn't have a nose job. And everybody has a nose job in, yes. in Tehran, at least. I didn't go that way. <laughs> so, did you grow up very Persian in your household? Um, I mean, in a way, we kept all the traditions. We speak Farsi. We kept all the traditions. My mom cooks uh, Iranian food. Um, your mom, by the way, is fascinating. Then, she's a she's a ethnomusicologist, right? Yes, yes, and she specializes in uh, Iranian music. Um, it's a, a region in Iran. Yeah. So that's a pretty big deal. I mean, to have that, to be surrounded by that yeah. growing up. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought that there's two stereotypes of the Iranian family. Either it's crazy, <laughs> like, you know, uh, a bit of too much party and yeah, uh-huh. or like con- super conservative. Uh-huh. Me, let's put, let's be clear. And I did not grow up in a conservative um, environment. That's for sure. Not at all. My uncle is gay. Uh, my grandfather was more than more than that. Was more than welcoming. More than he was like he he told him when he was super at a very young age. He was you know not I'm not gonna say happy about it, but he was uh, he, very uh, accept of it. 
Um, yeah, I'm yeah, quite, I'm quite envious of you because you, you, you grew up in a very sort of adventurous family. I know your, your dad, uh, it comes from a prominent family, but, uh, and was sort of a, has lived a, adventurous lifestyle i'm not sure how to how to put it uh and yeah. and so they were you didn't grow up in that mold that we've talked about a lot on this program of you need to be a doctor or engineer you need to sort of fit into the persian girl yeah. stereotypes right not at all i mean if i would tell my mom i want to get married at the age of 20 she would have uh, slapped me in the face like she wanted me to be independent you know to follow my dreams work hard I feel very lucky because, you know, when I when I compare myself to like some other friends of mine, including my friend Nika with who I co-founded Zanae, she was, you know, now they're now they're very, you know, they're very proud of her. She has her uh, she has a fashion brand also, she does handbags. Um now they're very proud of her and all that, but but yeah, she was, you know, not forced, but they were really pushing her to go into the business economics you know that industry uh whereas for myself never ever 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 so i very er, from an early age my mom was sending me when i was 16 she sent me to summer school at rhode island school of design then the year after i went to yale university summer school intensive course of graphic design wow you know so like you know she was preparing me because you know in, in france you don't have sats you don't have all these um extracurriculum things so when you're when you're applying to universities um okay yeah, so so wait a second so wait a second they didn't they didn't force you into doctor or engineer but they sent you to yale at the age of 16 so it's yeah, not, summer it's intensive a, school nobody wanted to go there <laughs> i wanted to right, go there right yeah so it, tell me about the trajectory of visiting iran so many times like once a year since you've said for your entire life right uh or even a couple times a year uh, with this fondness that you felt, this connection to Iran, was it ever a consideration for you to to move to Iran? Um, you know, it's funny because just when I was walking home, I live in St. John's Wood in London, and it's there's a lot of Iranians, a lot of Iranian restaurants. Um, just went to get my eyebrows done. The lady is it's an Iranian-owned uh, uh, beauty salon. <laughs> and uh, I was just walking back home, and there's this restaurant called Cello. Mm-hmm. And this guy was on the phone, the guy who works there, and speaking Farsi, and it's so weird. Like I wanted to cry. <laughs> I got like emotional, you know. Yeah, I just I really miss Iran right now. I haven't been in two and a half years. But would you live I there? I love. <sighs> would I live there? <sighs> I don't know. I mean, I don't think so. I don't think so because you know people are not that free. There's a lot of things that you're not allowed to do. <laughs> And I like my freedom, and I'm very lucky to have my freedom. And I feel lucky that I can visit Iran, you know, back and forth. Yeah. Um, so no, I don't. I don't think I would. I would live there. No. That's something that Iranians say to me. Is is uh, uh, so, so sorry? Some Iranians who live in Iran have said to me, uh, "It's interesting that you, you know, you consider all these great things about Iran, but given the choice, you know, you." You yeah, exactly. You no, yeah. It's, so, yeah. so it's it, it, yeah. the the underpinning of those statements is is. But I still get that there's. It's not yeah. the idyllic uh, society that I I want it to be. Tell us a little yeah. bit about what exactly 
you discovered in Iran that so has so inspired your work? Um, you've, I mean, it's been pretty all-consuming. You've talked about everything from the architecture to um, the food culture. Uh, can you put it into words what it is that that so inspires you? Um, well, it's quite hard for me because it's you know, as as a creative person, you're so you're inspired in your daily life um, and. For me, when I this trip to Iran, where literally it was it was very special to me because it was the time where I was thinking of starting my own uh, fashion brand, and it's very subtle. It's not like you would look at my bag and say, "Oh wow, this is so Persian." No, <laughs> it's, it's subtle. Um, it's in the geometric. It, it's in the shapes, the vi- vibrant colors. I think it's a whole thing. Uh, it's hard for me. To, I don't think I can really put it into words, but um. It's, you know, the, the mosques and the palaces and, yeah, all the shapes and the, the strong colors. Yeah, I think that's what inspired me um, to start my first collection, at least. Yeah. You're, you are identified. I mean, when people write about you, they call you an Iranian designer. Is that, are you yeah, an, I like that. You, do you like yeah. that? Yeah, I like that. It's important to me, actually. So yeah. Why is that important to you? And again, that's why I started Zanai, like not saying I'm established or anything, but all these emerging designers, like be proud of, you know, it, it shouldn't be a, a stop or it shouldn't be negative or like um, that you're Iranian. You should take advantage of that, you know? Tell us about, I was going to get to Zanai, but you might as well, you start talking about it now. Tell us about Zanai, the, yes. in, the inspiration for it, the instigation yeah. of it and what and what you're doing with it. Yeah, um, we started it during lockdown. A good friend of mine, Nika, who the way we met is we were both participating at London Fashion Week. And she came to introduce herself and we both kind of of understood that we were both Iranian, got really excited about it. And then Nika was like, wow, it's so, so cool that uh, you're there's another Iranian um, designer. They're, they're so rare. There's, I don't, I mean, she, you know, she comes from a very business law background, all that. So, and I was like, oh my God, you have no idea of the number of Iranian people, but even people that you, you don't know, like, I don't know, it's not that, it's not world known that India Madhavi, for example, is Iranian or this famous uh, editor in, in London, Carolina Issa, or, uh, I mean, the list is long anyway. And I was like, and she's like, oh my God, we should do something about that. Like, you know, we should, these people should meet and we should create an event. And then we both got pregnant and then uh, we were busy with our work. And then lockdown happened and I was like, okay, I think this is the time to start doing it and do it through Instagram and start interviewing, doing a series of live interview with women who are established, who have made it in their field it goes from you know um, makeup artist to a cook to a writer to a fashion designer to a jewelry designer you know the creative industry is quite broad but um it's funny because all the women literally most of all the women that we interviewed they all said that um their dads and you know want them to become doctors or lawyers and they just went a different route so we started this just to shine lights, just to shine lights on the people of Iran. And I wanted to do it, uh, I mean, it was important for us to do it about women just because, you know, I think it's very current and the creative industry not being 
uh, not being a hobby basically you can actually mm -hmm. be successful and make a living by being a painter or buying be, by being a jewelry designer or by being a cook you know so that was what, what was important for us um so we started doing two well we started doing one live interview a week and then it, it it got so much attention and people were so excited about it and also people who were non-iranians i had so many messages from friends or random people um just saying wow i love learning about these incredible women and their journey and uh what they've accomplished and because you know they all they all touch a bit about you know some of them grew up in iran and then left or th there is this connection with iran one way or the other um so yeah it sounds like a, a fabulous project kudos to you for doing it um thank you were you always this interested in all things Iranian? I mean, when you, as a teenager, say, in in, uh, in England, or even when you were in New York, uh, was that in you? Was this this, or has, is this something that's flowered and evolved as you've gotten um, to the yeah. <laughs> to the old age of uh, 30, yeah. thirty something? I think Iran is quite a fascinating country. You know, through the media, it's it's. It's not shown in the best lights, uh, you know, because of politics and you know, theocracy, all that. But, well, actually, I can go back to Marjan Satrapi when she, when the book Perse Police came out, remember? Yeah. So I feel like that was the first time that people, you know, I was in Paris at the time, yeah? So that just international people were kind of... Uh, Paying you know, attention to learning, us, learning, yeah, learning, yeah, 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 paying attention to Iran, you know, yeah. and I got, and, and I was like, oh, this is the story of so many, so yeah. many people out there, yeah. and so it was funny, and and me and, 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 and can I just stop that. there? Can I just stop there? Because we don't, yeah. I, I don't always talk about the marriage on Satrapi. That book, I must have bought that book for a hundred people because yeah. it was so, it was, it felt revolutionary um yeah. not because just because it was a graphic novel and the storytelling was great and all of that but because it was just so cool and it was like yeah. oh this is something cool that's being done by an iranian that i can show to people that that exactly as you've been saying through this interview undermines these stereotypes that we're all a certain way you know even if even if people don't think that we're terrorists you know they might think oh you know it's this this old yeah, kind of yeah. culture or whatever and here's this woman who comes out with this incredible graphic novel so go ahead. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. No. So. So it was. You know. People started becoming like. You know. Asking questions about you. Oh. So you're Iranian. Oh. So tell us. And so it was quite interesting that 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 time I remember. And yeah, in New York less actually. Mm -hmm. Like I think it, it started really when I moved to London because I started meeting Iranian more Iranian people and I had some friends that I grew up with because I lived in London from uh, six months old to seven years old. When my mom was living here, she had a lot of Iranian friends, and we were all kids the same age. We grew up together, and so I started hanging out with them, hanging out with them again when I moved back here. I just think that people are kind of fascinated by 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 Iran, and I just, you know, good in a good way or in a bad way, in a not so in a complex, uh, you know. And so I just wanted to, yeah, 
it was important for me to do something. Not fascinating enough to you to find a an Iranian life partner, though, right? You're, you're <laughs> well, I didn't find any. I wasn't against it, honestly. I would have you couldn't find Iran. one? No. Uh, okay. No, I couldn't find one. So I, mean, I met my husband in New York, though, but yeah. <laughs> so, you're, so your husband, the non-Iranian, you guys got married three or four years ago, Five right? Five years ago. Five yeah. years ago. And what is, I don't know if this is a rumor or the reality, or I want you to clear this up for me. Is it true that you flew back to Iran three times to have your wedding dress fitted? Oh, more. <laughs> more than <laughs> what? that. What? It doesn't seem like a very economical way of doing it. So so what's the story no. behind that? Well, Eva, um, uh, what was her name? By the way, it makes you sound like a really privileged kid to keep flying no, back to No, I mean, Iran. yeah, no, no, very lucky, yeah, no, for, for sure, for sure. But, um, but like like I said, I also have my grandparents that were there, and my, my grandfather was, you know, he, he, he passed like six months before my wedding. So I was going back there a lot because you you know he, he he was not in a good shape and um and my mom was spending a lot of time there obviously so she lives in new york but she's okay. spending a lot of time in tehran so it was just nice for the family to to, to gather my my grandmother she's my grandmother and my mom was taking me to the uh couturier how would you how do you call that in english the, the tailor the, 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 yeah taylor yeah. yeah yes yes the designer the yeah and so I had an idea of how oh, Shadi Palang, that's her name, Shadi Palang. And I had an idea of how I wanted my dress. And to be honest, if I had done my, if I had made my dress in, 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 in I don't know, in London or wherever outside Iran, it might have cost 10 times the price. Yeah. So, um, by the way, I can, I, can I just tell you something fun? Our yeah. fourth guest ever on Rook. Uh, I, maybe even our third guest ever on Rook was Shadi from No way. Yeah. Yeah. Really? yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, she's very innovative, oh, you know, yeah, and she makes these very specific kind of dresses. And uh, so that, that this is amazing. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. So you had to That's keep so going funny. back to get fitted by her. Yeah. So I think my mom knew her, or my, my, my grandma, anyway. And so she was highly recommended. And I went to meet her i mean she has the most amazing house in tehran it's like so old school like oh man it's amazing and so i i was going there every yeah every couple months here and there and um and i lost a lot of weight before my wedding so she had to like tie it up again and she came to london for some work and she brought the dress and then i tried it and it was just perfect it was perfection she made she it was literally my dream dress and she executed it perfectly yeah <laughs> and your wedding dress became has become the inspiration for you in some of your design right i mean my dress my wedding dress is a bit crazy huh? i had like uh, feathers and flowers and I, everyone was like oh my god this dress is so <laughs> you you could take it to burning man <laughs> But um, I think it was just very me. You know, my husband was <laughs> telling my, some of my girlfriends, uh, the dress is going to be simple, huh? It's going to be simple. And they're like, <laughs> just Jeremy, there's one thing. It is not a simple dress, <laughs> okay? Um, so, yeah. <laughs> but um, I just, yeah, I just think it was, it was, it was very me. And, um, uh, yeah. I, I want to finish off by asking about your audience because you obviously – um have had this you're a successful designer and you also have a, a, a pretty big following on social media uh who does your audience tend to be girls in their girls in their mid mid 20s to um, to mid 40s actually it's quite broad yeah 
um, you know, like I have some students also following me, and you know, I, I it, it was quite interesting to see that. I think my I think my bags were a bit too expensive at some point um, for my audience because when I lowered the price down, I sold way more. So I don't know. I always wanted to have this like high end brand, but then it's not really me. I wanted to make it more affordable, and mm -hmm. they're way more affordable now, and and I like it that way because it just makes more sense for me. Um, but um, my biggest audience is in the U.S., uh, New York, East Coast, uh, and then London and France, and then uh, quite a few in the Middle East because I was I was selling in like I was selling in Doha and. Um, uh, Bahrain, uh, and then also in Turkey. Um, so yeah, quite international. Oh, Brazil a lot also. So I had a couple of these influencers that, you know, were wearing a lot of my designs. And so they had a very big following. And so Brazil, all of a sudden, yeah. And I was wondering if Iranians, and especially those who are um, quite fashion interested or even fashion forward to in the Iranian community around the world and even in Iran know that these designs are from an Iranian designer the, I mean obviously if they see your name or they see Oz out of clutch yeah. they might know but but um, yeah. do, do they do, do, all do, my bags have an Iranian name yes you've bags. named each of your handbags uh, has a Persian name right yeah yeah uh, well, and what are some of the names uh, Ziba <laughs> Uh, Mahin, it's my grandmother's name. Um, Sirus, my brother's name. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh my god, I can't remember right now, but yeah. So, uh, oh, Roya, Roya, Roshan. Um, yeah. Do Iranians know you're Iranian? Yeah, I think so. I hope so. Do you have a following <laughs> in Iran? Ah. Um, well, you know what? Through Zanae, uh, I started having more of a following. Yeah, more of an Iranian crowd. And then um, Bahar, Bahar uh, interviewed me. And we did a live interview together. And um, Bahar Islami. Yes, uh -huh. yes. And uh, she has a very big following yes. in Iran. And and um, yeah, so a lot of Iranians started discovering me because she was saying she's like, oh, people don't know you enough in Iran. <laughs> and uh, she, she's right. She's right. Yeah. You've mentioned a couple of times you, you you had a baby not too long ago. Your son is maybe a couple of years old. He's two years old. Two years and old. One week. And you got a new one on the way. I do. How how has motherhood changed? Here you are, this dynamic, free spirit, and very ambitious, successful person. How has being a parent changed all that, or has it? I didn't think I was going to love motherhood this much. Um, to be honest. I thought it was going to be more like, yeah, you know, I can leave my baby, <laughs> do all the things that I used to do, yeah. travel, all that. No, 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 no. I'm obsessed with him. And I, I, until you have kids, like I didn't know this. With this, there's there's this feeling. It just takes over your whole body. Like it's crazy. I can't even explain it. Um, and yeah, I didn't know that was even possible. I didn't even know what that what that was. But no, I, I, you know, I, I'm very present mother. I, for a whole year, I didn't have a nanny. Uh, it, I mean, it was lockdown. I was, I was home with my baby, with my, with my son. He started going to nursery at the age of um, one and a half, and he loves it. He's very social, dynamic kid, like his mommy. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, no, I mean, we dropped him off at 
at school in the morning with my husband. I pick him up every day and no, I'm just, I, I love him so much and I can't wait to have the second one. And it's another boy. So they're going to be best buddies. Hopefully <laughs> they'll just be like two years and two months apart. So, yeah. Have you thought about, uh, well, you've probably thought about it. how, 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 where, where have you landed in terms of wanting to bring these kids up with, uh, some sort of Iranian identity? So this is the whole thing. I I try really hard to speak Farsi. Things that when I start, the things that when I started speaking in Farsi, uh, my son's called Gabriel. When I started uh, speaking to him in Farsi, my husband was like, "Oh, but I don't understand. I don't understand." I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I need to speak to him in Farsi. Like, I'm gonna regret it my whole life because I have Iranian friends who are like." Why did my parents, why did my mom not speak to me in Farsi? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, they yeah. regret it. Both sides regret it. So I'm like, I need to. But then, you know, we came back from holidays, the, 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 you know, after the summer. I remember I started, I was like, okay, I really need to make an effort. So I started speaking Farsi to him, and he's just standing there looking at me like, what the hell are you talking about? So then I just switched back in French because we speak French at home. Uh-huh. He goes to nursery, so he, he speaks in English at school nursery um but no my mom i mean my mom she doesn't see him that much but we facetime a lot and she speaks well she, she's so funny because she speaks in farsi then she throws in some words in french and english and i'm like why why you're confusing the poor kid stick <laughs> to one language and what what about your what is your husband's first language french french yeah. oh okay yes so french is going to probably win the day to a certain extent yes. i see yes. all right uh, yeah. uh, the he calls he calls he calls uh, uh, my husband Baba. I love that. He only says Baba. I said I said this is so important to me, and you know I just started teaching him Baba, and he was like he said yes. Does so, your so husband? Cheap. Does your French husband, who you met in New York, does he like all things Iranian? Like when you went and you he, had that Eureka experience in Iran, was did he get it? He loves it. He loves it. Yeah, and he was, the first time we went, he was so funny. He was so surprised in a good way, you know. He, he had, no, I don't know, I don't know what he was thinking. First of all, the rusari, he thought you wore the rusari literally like just above the eyebrows. Right. Like, you know, he figured like, it was no, Taliban. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, we went during the, we, we went, the first time we went, it was winter time. He's like, oh my God, but it's actually so chic, you know, because they wear just like, you know, a he- like a headscarf and just throw it on. And uh, even me, because the thing is that I don't live there. So I think I would be maybe more of a rebel if I was living there, but I don't live there. So I'm, yes. I'm more careful. He's like, no, but look at the girls. Look, look, they just put it there. It's okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and we spent New Year's once. That was actually the last time we were there, two and a half, two and a half years ago. We spent New Year's in Kaushan. Oh. I mean, I don't know if I'm that. I mean, yeah, we just had so much fun. <laughs> Can you cook uh, Persian food? Yes, I started during lockdown. Um, okay. I had never cooked before uh, Iranian food, and to be honest, I was like, so my favorite food is albalupolo. <laughs> okay. And you know, albalupolo, you never eat it in restaurants. Slow cook, like you literally yeah. do not have it yeah. in any Iranian restaurant. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it myself. Like there's Iranian groceries, like you know, there's all the ingredients. Uh, I can get everything. So I just started, you know, looking at a recipe, and and I made that. I made fisinjun, which is a fav- my husband's favorite dish. Nice. Yeah, it was pretty good. I nice. was yeah. And then 
for my home. Is your Fesenjun Torsh or Shikari? In Shikari, yeah. Okay. <laughs> More on the Shikari side. But then my in-laws who are uh, who live in Paris, I had I had did did I did this whole like oh my god, I had salad salad olivier, misra rossemi, cash kebadem june. Literally I did everything I could think of. I had never done that in my entire life. And it was so nice. It was really nice. Yeah. Super you know, uh, it's a great pleasure to get to talk to you. I, I probably should have asked you more questions about fashion and your brand, but I see that almost all of your interviews are about that. So I thought uh, we'd learn a little bit about you as well as uh, um, your great design prowess. Tell me before <laughs> I let you go, um, Tara, where where. Um, so you've got Tara Zadeh, uh, you've got um, Zanayi, you've got uh, a burgeoning, f uh, growing family. Um, wh where do you want to take things in the coming years? I want to take Zanayi to. I, I, I want to take Zanayi to the big public. <laughs> um, I would love to. Nika and I, uh, we would love to work on a uh, on a TV series and do a series of short. 20 30 minutes like kind of documentary on all these different talents you know how like you know how you have like um chef's table mm -hmm. uh, on netflix or something like that you know one episode on golshifte farani one episode on india Matavi. yeah that's uh, that that would be the dream um so we're working towards that that's very Shalom. that's very doable what about in your design world uh, I have a new collection coming out next week. And uh, I don't think I mentioned this, but I, I stopped working with all the retailers and doing wholesale. I'm just producing a small collection that I'm going to be selling only um, via my website. Yeah. You're doing the Shadi Parent. Uh, that's, that, uh, that's her kind of uh, model, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I think it's the way to go. I think it's the, it's the future. And I was lucky enough to... You know, people heard about me through th thanks to the press and all. Like I was on Netaporte, all this. So I feel like, I feel like, yeah, it, it's it's a good time to do that. Just go direct, direct to consumer. Thanks so much for doing this today. I hope we see you next time we're in London, or even better, I hope you come visit Canada. Yes, where are you guys exactly? Toronto. Toronto. Great. I have my uncle. My uncle lives there. Well, my there you go. I, I was going to say, if you're feeling nostalgic when you walk by a guy speaking Farsi, you just got to come to Toronto. They're all here. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I need to come. I've never been. So, yeah, you yeah, must. Definitely. Thank you for this. Take care of yourself. Good Thank luck you with so the, new, the new little Thank one. You. And uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. It was lovely speaking to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Tara Ghazanfar is a fashion designer and the woman behind the acclaimed line Tara Zadeh. She's also the co-founder of a new project discovering and celebrating creative Iranian women called Zanayi. We reached Tara Ghazanfar in London, England today. My next guest is an Iranian-American producer, casting director, photographer, and the CEO of Cinematown Studios. 
based in Los Angeles. Not bad for someone who's still in her early 30s. Manush Nabavi was born and raised in Tehran in an artistic family. She started working in the movie and entertainment industry at the age of 10 and established her own media company when she was 18. She continued her path in Tehran until 2010 when she immigrated to Los Angeles. And during the first couple of years in L.A., she established herself as an international award-winning photographer. Her photography work has been displayed in different galleries around the world in cities such as Los Angeles, Moscow, Paris, Tokyo, and New York. And Manush was awarded one of the top six photographers in L.A. by Expertise Publication three years in a row, as well as other distinctions. More recently, she has established her own film studio. Manush is the CEO of a motion picture studio in Los Angeles called Cinematown with the intention of creating a space that can give back to the eager, independent, and film community and right now Manush Nabavi joins me from Los Angeles, California. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Khastanabashi. Nice to have you. I understand that you were shooting all night, is that right? Yes, I haven't slept probably for the past week because I was working 7 days a week probably between 12 to 17 hours a day. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't bode well for this interview. Are you did you at least do a couple of a shot of espresso or something before before talking to me? Um, I did. <laughs> <laughs> what do you what is it that you're shooting right now? What that's 17 hour days. Um, so yesterday we were shooting a music video with um, with a famous rock band and so we were shooting outside. It was an outdoor shoot in a pool and then in the morning we were shooting um on a green screen so it was a full day we were i mean we started at eight all the way till like midnight and it was like two days um but like i have like thousands of projects i'm working at the same time so basically so, so, so they're shooting at your film studio is that the idea uh, yes, um, tomorrow, I mean, yesterday morning, we shot at the studio, and then we had a company move to a house. And so when they shoot at your studio, are you involved in the actual shooting, or are you overseeing? You're, you're basically executive producing it. Um, it just depends on the project. Sometimes I'm doing like location managing, or sometimes I have my own productions where I'm a producer, and I bring everyone there to shoot. Um, but yeah, it just depends on what type of project it is. For yet, um, for the one that we were shooting yesterday, I was casting, directing for him. Um, but I also, you know, I always love to um, support artists. So I just told them, hey, like they wanted to shoot a green screen um, at a house, and it was kind of like difficult. I was like, why don't you guys just shoot it here gratis? Ah, nice, <laughs> so. nice. And because you're such an acclaimed photographer, when somebody, when they're shooting it, when somebody's behind the camera who isn't you, do you like push them aside at some point and go, no, it's not done like that, and like yell at them and make sure it's done the right way? <laughs> <laughs> I try to hold myself because I don't like to interfere in people. <laughs> you know, the per Persians, Persians have a temper, you know. I mean, you have to be careful, these, these photographers. <laughs> yes. I mean, if someone is like really doing um, something that they shouldn't be doing, I may just like give them an advice on the side, but I don't like to really interfere in someone else's project unless it's my own project and someone is messing up and then I have to take her up in. I mean, Manishan, reading your bio, uh, you, you seem, I mean, you sound like a very ambitious person, to say the least. Are you? Um, 
I try to be, yes. Why are you so ambitious? Well, I mean, I think it's because of the family I was, you know, raised by. And like since childhood, I was the same way. I was always like organized and disciplined. And my parents wanted me to be disciplined always. And like one of the main reasons was my parents and also uh, Reza Kianian, a very famous Iranian actor. He's like my uncle. I have so much respect for him. These people always been pushing me and they were like, you got to go get it. Like, we're not going to help you, but like, this is the way, like, you have to find your way. And if you need help, we will help you. But you just know. out of curiosity, what does discipline mean to you? What What's an example of being disciplined? To basically just to, you know, have a goal and just like step by step, like organizing how you want to achieve that goal and you know like i always write everything down and i had and i used to do this all the time like and discipline means like okay i have this to-do list i have this task and how am i going to achieve that you're hyper organized i mean however you say but (laughs) (laughs) well it sounds like you're very organized you're bad you're you're juggling a number of things you've got a number of projects on the go you you're the ceo of a film studio uh albeit a a new one listen i really like people who are organized anybody on the team here will tell you how much i like if if somebody's uh, got that kind of discipline uh i think that's brilliant although you allow yourself to pull all-nighters when you're when you've got a project apparently that that the discipline doesn't extend to giving yourself a break at night i i try try to balance my life it's a hard industry to work in uh long hours are not really easy um but i have to leave too it's not only about working sometimes i just get too excited i want to do everything at the same time it's impressive that you decided to establish your own film studio tell, tell me about <laughs> setting up cinematown and why you opted to do that rather mm-hmm. than i don't know work as a producer or a casting director in more whatever capacity with a big uh, established mm-hmm. film company the very first time I got here, I had to work for different people. I was volunteering. I was not getting paid. I was, you know, like there were a lot of people that I was working for. But at the same time, I was thinking like they're not treating me that um, the way that I deserve to be treated. Or um, So I kind of wanted to be my own boss and I didn't want to struggle anymore. And I struggled a lot because a lot of people may think that, oh, she's rich. And like, because I hear these things a lot and that's not the reality. The reality is that I had this goal. I always wanted to be a filmmaker and I always wanted to help filmmakers because I struggled a lot myself. I figured, because I had this um, idea about five, six years ago, um, to open up this studio, I had the business plan, and but due to some, you know, circumstances, I couldn't do it back then. And then when COVID hit, I lost all my jobs, and it was tough. And that was when I was like, I'm not gonna be sitting in the house doing nothing. I have to achieve the goal that I had, and I, I tried to push myself. And I found this place. I kept like contacting them. Hey, like I'm interested. And then um, we represented our business plan and they loved it. And we started building it. Like literally I was going to Home Depot 
every single day bringing lumber by myself. Hmm. I feel like a contractor now myself. Nice, I, nice. Why do, do yeah. you think? Do you think thinking that you're? It's interesting that you say people thought you were rich. I mean, do you think that's a Persian thing to sort of see someone who's doing well, especially when they're young, and say that she must be a rich kid? So I mean, I don't know if I can like say it's Persian, but I've heard more from Persian. But I also had like people who are non-Persian thinking that oh, like she just have everything. But like because because of the family I have like in Iran because my you know my father is a professor of cinema and my mom is a stage and costume designer and like they were like oh like they she can do anything she wants but it's not true because my dad never gave me that opportunity and I love that because he challenged me so I could like stand on my face but yeah sometimes people just judge you and I don't think if it's nice to do that like how people can judge you when they don't know anything about you i think because that's what they see from outside but they don't know the struggle you've gone through and the hard work that you know you've been doing so they just judge the, the, the people at home depot know they know how hard you've worked <laughs> uh, uh, um Sorry. you know you, you talk about your parents and i mean i guess it's it's not a big surprise that you're finding success in your early 30s, given that you started so young. I mean, this story that you began working in the movie and entertainment industry at the age of 10 in Tehran. Mm. I, I've heard of child actors, but what, is, what does a 10-year-old do as work in the film industry? Well, so when I was a kid, I was always going on set with my parents because back then they didn't have a babysitter or anything so basically they would like my parents used to work together on different projects they would take me on set and they would be like shut up stay here don't talk <laughs> and like go play and don't make any noise <laughs> and then um i really loved acting and i always thought i'm going to be an actress actually so i started with acting at age 10 so i was like acting in these plays for kids when, after I graduated in photography and filmmaking, I started um, my acting career in Iran. So I was acting in plays with Mohammed Rahmanian, Afshin Hashemi, Ahmad Sachin, all these great people. And then like right after I moved to the US, so that acting career was shut down. Okay, but didn't, didn't you start a, you also started a media company when you were 18 in Tehran, right? Yeah, I always wanted to have a studio and I didn't have a camera. I had like a very cheap camera that I was using and I needed that expensive camera. And I asked my dad, hey, like I need it. I wanna, I wanna have lighting. I wanna like open this studio. And he's like, I'm not gonna be helping you. I mean, if you need help, I'll help you later but how are you going to achieve it? Like, I'm just not going to pay you that much to get a camera and light because it's expensive. Then at that age, I was like, okay, I'll figure it out. So I started building jewelries and I was having those jewelry shows at my house for like a year. Then after a year, I was able to purchase that uh, camera and lighting and set up a studio. So that's 
how it started. I like. I really like the twist in the story with your, with your parents, with your dad, because, I mean, the fact that you do all that you do now, uh, it mm-hmm. seems natural that uh, you come from you, you know, and, and part of your bio is you come from an artistic family, and the implication <laughs> is that your family there therefore enabled and supported you going into this path. But you're saying that your parents actually didn't encourage you to go into this, right? <laughs> they, uh, so tell me, tell me about that. They were seeing the reality. From day one, my dad was telling me, this is a cruel and difficult industry. You've got to be really tough. Can you be tough? And I was stubborn. I was like, of course I can be tough. What are you talking about? And then, like, of course, like any other Persian parents, my dad wanted me to be a doctor. And it's funny because my dad's side's family everybody is doctors beside my dad and like and i told him like you're you told your own parents that i don't want to be a doctor and why are you expecting me to be a doctor what do you see in me and so i was fighting with him a lot about that but but now i really really appreciate everything he has done for me him and my mom and and also reza kianian like i admire these people so much they pushed me so hard and at first like i was fighting with them i was like no you're just being mean like because like I, w- I was taking photos back then and it wasn't digital so i had to go to the dark room and like print all these photos and i was going to my dad and he was like after like hours printing he was telling me this is trash 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 <laughs> yeah this one is not bad i'm like dad like i spent hours on this and he's like, go reshoot. And then he kept pushing me like That's that. good. Though. I mean, tough love, I guess. He, 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 he wanted to make you better. Yes. When I got to the college here and I was taking those photography classes, one thing I noticed was like all these people that are going to school here, they have this self-confidence that they think, oh, they're the king of the world. Because most of the instructor, instead of giving them a right critique. They're just like, great job, you did amazing. And then there is a portrait, which a tree is coming out of a head. (laughs) And I'm just like, dude, like, this is not, like, why do you say that? Like, you gotta tell them this is not good, so you go reshoot. And then I was comparing that to the education I was having in Iran. I was like, oh my God, I'm so, so happy I, took those courses in Iran and I graduated there because in Iran they're not like oh you're great you're amazing you're the best photographer Interesting. In the world. so in in a field like photography you're you're making the case that you actually benefited from the Iranian education system more so than 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 the western one in terms of them them being tougher on you than the, the the bar being higher yes yes huh. i i'm i'm really happy about that let me ask you i mean you know Iran is not <laughs> It's not exactly known as the land of opportunity for, um, for 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 young people and and you know in creative types especially. But you seem like you were doing pretty well by your early twenties. I mean, you're as you just said, you've you been acting in plays. You were doing photography. You had set up this media company. You uh, you had you had a bunch of things going on. Um, what was the breaking point? What what was the precipitant for you to decide to leave all of that, leave Iran, and come to the states? Well, um, I mean, I could do anything I want in Iran and everything was easy for me. 
I like to be challenged. I wasn't seeing a future because I don't like to be limited. I don't like people to tell me, oh, you have to censor this part. Like you have to change this part. You can't do this. You can't do that. And I wasn't seeing a bright future that much because I'm a type of person who likes to be challenged and grow and learn, you know, just be more involved in a new culture, like learn more about like how Hollywood works, how, how these people work in here. So when I got here, I just said, put that ego away because that's not going to get me anywhere. Over here, nothing is achieved easily. You have to work really, really hard. The competition in this industry is really difficult. And But if you have a goal and if you work hard, you'll get it. But in Iran, I'm not sure Like if you work really hard, how far you can get. You, you're clearly very good at capturing people on camera. Um, and th this, you had this bug in you. You had this desire for photography from an early age. What... What do you think? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've reflected upon it, uh, given that you won all those awards and everything. What, what makes you such a good photographer? I always used to pay attention to details a lot. I used to pay attention to people. So when I was going out, I was looking at people, like how they walk, how they talk, how they eat, or like even like different locations. Um, when I was seeing something, I was like capturing it in my mind that how would this lighting make this subject look good? I was always like thinking about things and I'm a social person. I interact with people a lot and I get to know their personalities. And when I'm taking portraits, I want to bring that personality out. And, you know, I, I think it's just basically paying attention to details. I I care about a lot of stuff. And Tell me about getting into the, the producing and the production coordination and the casting director and all that, the studio mm -hmm. now. Why, why was photography not enough? Well, I mean, it's not about not being enough. It's just like as years passed by, I figured everyone calls themselves photographers and people were coming to me. They were like, oh, your camera is great. And I'm just like, camera is not taking the photo if you don't have the knowledge like it's not like i'm putting it on auto and i'm taking this photo right. and then like you know like wisdom of people is so important to me i pay so much attention to that and like people were coming to me they're like oh can you take this photo and then uh, we're going to print it at costco it's one dollar why are you charging us like twenty dollars right. and then i had to explain to them hey like this is professional photography. This is professional printing. The paper itself costs like 10, you know, like all this stuff. And then like nowadays, I think with um, social media being so popular these days and everybody's obsessed with social media, anyone who has an iPhone, they think they're a photographer. Yeah, it's really messed with your your trade, right? I mean, we, we've had this conversation a couple of times on this show with, say, Firuz Zahedi, the great uh, photographer, and he just sort of says it's, it's a really, it's reshaped the industry in that exactly what you say, that everybody walking around with a, their smartphone with, a, with an iPhone thinks that they're, they can do what you do, what you're trained to do, what you, and, and they just, you just happen to shoot a good photo rather than the, um, the experience and expertise you bring. Exactly, exactly. And 
so this was one of the things that the more time was passing but i was seeing it more and it's kind of disappointing to the professional industry um anyone who is rich and is buying like expensive cameras they think they're photographers and they don't even know the difference between the shutter shutter speed or like an aperture or iso or anything like that and they're like oh your camera is cool so you're a great photographer so this this type of stuff was kind of like annoying to me and i mean i still do photography but i only do like high-end projects i don't do like i'm not like 200 dollar photographer i don't do that but i always love to help people like it's not always about money but it's about them respecting you as a professional and not treating you like an amateur but if i wasn't a photographer i would never become a producer or a casting director if i didn't have the background in photography and lighting and acting i wouldn't be a casting director let me ask you what it's like these days to work in um in Hollywood, uh, especially on the production side, on the business side, I mean, the stereotype of the uh, of, of traditional Hollywood is that women, uh, and especially Middle Eastern folks, will get less respect than their older, whiter, uh, more male counterparts. Ha- have you found that in the industry? And is 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 Cinema Town something of a reaction to that? Um, maybe. Um, I've been treated so harshly a lot of times a lot of times people put me down because when they know you're a woman they don't really treat you well they're like you don't know anything like what do you know about producing what do you know about casting but i've learned to just ignore that type of energy and words in my life i don't have to like you know jealous people and people like this exists everywhere and i don't have time to waste it um by those you know but those type of people you are you're iranian you grew up in iran your your parents have done uh important work on the creative side in iran um mm-hmm. you, you only came here about a decade ago you've said you're not so into working with iranians <laughs> why why is that um it's not like I don't like to work with them. It's like... Be, be honest. The show's I called prefer, Rook. I mean, what's the problem? I yeah. prefer not to because, again, because of the cruelty that I've seen and experienced. When you're working with the same nation as yours, they think they can, you know, take advantages of you. Sometimes it's not like I'm saying in I'm saying something in general. Mm-hmm. There are a lot mm-hmm. of lot of good people that I would love to work with them always. But like in general, I didn't have good experience. That's why I think I rather just stay away from it because I wasn't seeing I'm growing or learning or anything like that. The more I was working in Persian community, it was the same thing. There was a lot of dramas most of the time after every shoot or concerts or events that I was doing, there was dramas or people weren't getting paid or things like that. But like, I don't want to say only Persians are like that. It's not. No, but as you're speaking, I'm looking at uh, some of our, our team members here as they're listening to the interview and they're all nodding, you know, <laughs> so so you, what you're saying is not entirely unique. I mean, people understand it. What What is the drama? Why do why Why is there drama when you're working with Persians? I think there's not enough communication ahead of time. Things are not being addressed 
officially things are not being addressed on papers um i think one thing i've learned is like um the more persian productions i was working with there was always dramas with paperwork people were refusing to sign <laughs> when they were signing <laughs> like they were doing the total reverse or you know like artists being jealous of the other artists there were you know like there is so much things can happening. i make a suggestion too they they, yeah. they always expect a deal if you're working with persians they expect to not pay you the full amount right exactly like the guy comes with the latest mercedes-benz <laughs> and living in bel-air and then they're like oh can you volunteer for this one we just don't have the budget i'm like dude like you're wearing head to toe gucci <laughs> and like how how you don't have a budget for this you know it's just i mean i don't know I, why i don't know why like i mean i totally hear what you're saying and i i'd be shocked if there's anybody listening who of iranian background who wouldn't understand what you're saying or wouldn't agree on some level if not fully um and i don't i can't figure out why we're like that i think um I, I mean, maybe part of it is the fact that these fields that we work in um, are not as respected traditionally in our culture. Like, I mean, as opposed to, like, I don't know if an Iranian negotiates with a doctor, you know? Yeah, mm -hmm. well, you can do the surgery, but you got to give me a good deal. You know, like, I, I think yeah. I, I think it's more like it happens, you know, if you're a comedian or if you're, you know, a musician or if you're doing a freaking show, you know, or, or, or a film, I mean, then all of a sudden it's like, uh, hey, can you just play a few songs at my party? It's good exposure for you. And it's like, well, wait a minute, that's my job, you know? <laughs> exactly that exposure word is very familiar to me i can write a book about the things i've gone through like there is this persian fancy luxury um non-profit organization thing event that like only like very very rich people are there and then i'm i was their lead photographer with my assistant and this person comes to me like again like head to toe brand and i'm <laughs> and she's like take a photo of me i'm just like sure <laughs> like and i take the photo and then she's like give me the print right now i'm just like i'm sorry i'm like what do you mean i i'm not a printer it's not like i take a photo and it comes out of me like it takes a while for photos to be edited and then i have to submit it and then she's like arguing with me oh my god this is not fair this is not fair i'm just like how like what am i doing yeah and and at those events the centerpiece will be worth more on the table will be worth more than what they pay the entertainment or something you know i could I could almost guarantee it yeah. <laughs> Uh, where where do you want to take things, Manish? Where wh what is the ideal outcome? You seem like uh, you know you're you're a planner, as you've said, uh, mm. with precision. You're decisive. What what's the ideal outcome for Manush in, in Los Angeles, say, a decade mm -hmm. down the road? So my main goal was to help filmmakers. Again, as I said, like I struggled a lot, and so. I, the reason I opened up this studio was to help them. Um, you know, I wanted independent production to achieve like a multi-million dollar look for a fraction of a cost. Mm. And 
once I'm running this, it just gives me satisfaction when people come to me and they're like, oh, we love this place. And like when I'm when I can help people in different aspects of production, it makes make me feel good. But the next step is for me to make my own movie, which I wrote a few years ago. But the thing is, I wanted to shoot in Iran. But people like changed my mind and they were like, don't shoot it in Iran. You have to change the script and write it in English. But it's basically kind of about my personal life. And it's actually called behind the scenes and actually what's happening in reality in this industry and as a woman who's working in this industry. Oh. But it's so emotional that every time I want to continue this script, I start crying. So, um, but that's the goal um, to keep making my own movie. I think it's time now, but it's just like, it's a matter of me finding the right time. Um, it's just like, I'm so busy that I can't. Good, good for you. I mean, I, I'm sure you will make that film, but why does it, why does it make you cry when you think about it? I don't know, because it's everything that I've gone through and a lot of things that was really cruel and harsh for me, you know, to tolerate. And In Iran or in the States? Mainly in the States after immigration. In Iran also, like, I've experienced a lot of terrible things. Um, I usually, when I was going to places, I wasn't saying anything about my family because my family is my family, like, who I am. Like, that was important to me. And then... I was doing auditions and like the the assistant director was telling me, oh, you want to get this role? So you have to, you know, something like sexual and this happens all the time. So I have all those in that script, but like this is like the very, very normal. Um, there's been a lot of verbal abuse for me, um, especially during the past year. I've gone through a lot. So like when I'm bringing all this memory back, it's kind of like making me emotional. But I think it's good for people to th to see that side of sure, this industry. Sure. Um, it's a pleasure getting to talk to you. Thank you for uh, taking the time. I'm sorry that you're. Uh, it's in the middle of your crazy week of, of shooting. I'm glad you did the espressos and that you were <laughs> up and awake for the interview. And I look forward to seeing more of what you create and seeing you in person before too long. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And it was a pleasure talking Merci. to you. Khodafes. Merci. Khodafes. Manush Nabavi, an Iranian-American producer, casting director, international award-winning photographer, and the CEO of Cinematown Studios. We reached Manush in Los Angeles, California today. Microphone's back on for Captain Reza Groovyshy and the fabulous Keon. Well, Tara Gazanfer, Manush Nabavi, reactions? Wonderful. I mean, you can't be more proud of these young Iranian women who are just they're like making a 
I think they're older than you. But no, they're, uh, they're not. Oh, same age. <laughs> exactly the same age. <laughs> no, we're the same age. Puts uh, things into perspective, age. huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's really it's, uh, makes me proud and ashamed and <laughs> upset all at the same time. A you could start a movie studio, couldn't you? I mean, I wouldn't call that a movie studio. It's just a, like probably a studio photography videography movie studio is slightly different when you say movie studio you think like paramount warner brothers yeah like mm. huge yeah. production but it's got to start somewhere yeah it's not she's started, it's not, you know, she's got it's a not space feasible here like in la i understand and it's a great business model especially like for and she knows how to market it well as well uh in, here in toronto like we i actually tried that before in the past with a friend of mine that you know actually johnny <laughs> uh-huh. uh with a, bu- a buddy of mine and i like we started a, f- a, a production studio sort of for mm. music videos and small budget films and it just it didn't work yeah. like it wasn't feasible i mean i would say to the people out there given the option of using manusha's studio or reza's <laughs> <laughs> call manusha immediately <laughs> <Listen>. <laughs> <laughs> Stop putting kibosh into my business plan, bro. I'm, I'm trying to make a buck over here. Hey, uh, you guys can use our space for. Uh, I'm telling you. Uh, please call Manush. Free call. I don't know why. I just imagine like a porno studio. <laughs> like, what is, I'm sorry, hey, right? hey, I know, no, You pay so enough. <laughs> you can shoot whatever you want in there. I, it's none of my business what you do. Two dudes what you running it for. a studio. <laughs> Those two hours you're renting it from me are your business. <laughs> Let's make this about the guests again yeah, yes, uh, yes. Shia yeah actually I know Manush uh, since oh, like, okay. yeah for many years and actually, oh I know you know her and you know why because you know what I she calls can, you uh, yeah I, in, in the preparation for the interview I was talking to her a few times and she would say hey how's Reza doing you know <laughs> me? And I'd say oh. hi to Reza no and I'd be like uh, <laughs> sure you know <laughs> thinking I gotta say hi to you Reza you know? <laughs> then it turns out she's talking about Shia, Shia yeah Whose real sure. name is Reza? Yeah, you know, yeah. he runs around masquerading himself. I am shy. He's, <laughs> he's, so he's actually just. Re- I know. He always I has to be special, and he's a uh, you know he wears his cloaks and his <laughs> beard, and I am shy. You know, it's, the guy's name is Reza. I don't know. You know why Reza she- Abdul, something or other. <laughs> Muhammad Abdul Reza. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why she insti- insists to call me Reza. <laughs> she insists on calling. Yeah. She doesn't. I don't know, man. She doesn't even seem to know who Shia is. I'd be like, Are, do you mean Shia? And she's like, Reza? <laughs> yeah, Reza. <laughs> but Shia, you grew up in the business too, like in the industry in Iran. Did you like? Did you know her growing up? Like, when yeah, you that's what I'm going to say. That uh, I, I, I've observed that how hardworking she was and she is, and she's building, you know, her path very mm-hmm. with kind of ambition but didn't you think you know back to what i was saying at the top of the show when i said a study in contrast didn't you find it interesting that you know towards the end there she's saying I, i'm i just i'm n- not as enthusiastic mm. about working with iranians yeah. and then you have tara tara yes. zadeh who is just embracing all things uh, iranian yeah. as a kid who was born in houston you mm. know grew up in london and yeah. uh, but it's kind of like you Gian. it is like it me right you know, i related to her i know like you're now you're embracing working with iranians starting in like persian media and mm. Every other like Persians we try we like talk to or bring on to work with, they're like, "Oh, I I usually don't work with Iranians." But I know. You guys, Tara and I are like, "Oh, we want to embrace our roots." And you guys like, "Get the fuck out of here!" Fuck the roots. I want to get as far away from Iran as I can. (laughs) And we're like, "Please, I want to let. I just want to go visit and stay there." We want to attach ourselves to something. Because well, you know, it's important to. 
uh, I mean, you know, you our roots are yeah. are we can't. First of all, I said to Tara, you can't quit Iran. We can't. Yeah, yeah. But that's the whole point of this show. And and I know you guys even feel feel that way, despite yeah. the fact that. And clearly, Manush does as well. But but it is fun. It is interesting. Very it's like, you know, I come from Iran. I know not to work with them. What do you you know, <laughs> you, you you characters Z on Tara running around yeah. thinking you can work with the uh, Iranians? Uh, We're but, still hopeful. Yeah, but <laughs> I get her point, and I think you also agree that. There is a lot of drama oh. happening yeah. in you know uh, when you're working sadly, with Sadly, yes. You know, it, it's Even before creating Rook, I mean, I knew that for years. Mm. Every time I'd be hired to host an event in Iranian, <laughs> it's like, uh, like oh, oh boy, here we go. Jianjian, <laughs> <you know>. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, we need someone to park the car outside. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I thought I was hired to host the. Here are yes. the keys. Go. <laughs> the BMW is over there, and you will not be allowed back in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> also, while you're hosting, mention Majid Aga. He got upset when you oh mentioned him God. at the top of the show. But let's not let a few, not a few, many of these bad ones ruin the culture for us. There are still let's good not let half of our community ruin the rest. <laughs> yeah. Like these women on the show today, for example, women power, man. They're yes. like out there. They're young, too. They're in their early 30s doing big things in this world. And I'm just looking at Tarazada's handbags right now. She's right. Yeah. It, it did not. I was curious. I was like, wait a minute. Revolutionary hammock. Okay. I'm pretty sure I would know about this. But I looked it up she's actually right there's you know you always have to kind of carry it or whatever and it's just it goes around your wrist how convenient yeah yeah, yeah. no it's i, think I, I might mean, have to buy one now <laughs> I, I, it's brilliant yeah it it's is brilliant. She why couldn't in, i come up with that Damn well it. exactly keon i mean uh, useless this is what i i as as excited as i was for their, their success i i i cry inside <laughs> thinking about you <laughs> You and my mother. <laughs> that makes two of us. <laughs> that makes ten of us. <laughs> hey, a big thank you again to Kathy Cavendi and Kathy Cavendi, Cavendi Immigration Services, Inc. for making this edition of Rook possible. This is a full-service immigration firm that offers all inland and overseas immigration services, including temporary visas, permanent visas, PR extensions, and citizenship applications. Kathy and her team are available to inform and assist you as their client throughout the whole immigration process. If you want to come to Canada or you're here and you need support, you need an immigration counselor, Katy is your person. Katy Kavandi Immigration Services. Check them out on Instagram at immigration. All right, we've been teasing this. It's Monday. It's been a, a couple of weeks since we mm-hmm. went through the letters and I know we've got a lot of them. It's time for Letters of the Week. از خودت تعریف all right so like I said on uh, the specific episode of uh, Faradiba and the rise of Iranian art which was part three of the nook of the nook part three of the nook part three of the new rook series called the contemporary history of Iran um, now I know you you it's Farah Diba right is it Farah or Farah Farah Farah, Farah. Yeah. I don't know you of all people I pronounce I things 
Wait, I don't know. It depends on what language I'm speaking. If it's English, then I try to be more English. And anyway, we got a lot of people writing. You want to say like Farrah Fawcett. Like Farrah. Exactly. Right, right. Farrah, Farrah. Yeah. Same. Uh, tomato, tomato, whatever. wrote saying, Greetings to Her Majesty, the Queen of Iran. You are our pride. We want the Pahlavi dynasty, that is, prosperity and glory, to return to Iran once again. Okay. And then we have Amir Hossein Izadi who wrote, Great job. By the way, Her Majesty herself tweeted your work. She did. She shared it across all her platforms. Yes, she shared this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, we thank her for that. Uh, this episode about how she, even as a young monarch, uh, uh, is she the monarch or the... Well, she is. She married Empress. the monarch yeah. and then becomes. She, uh, how she um, rolled up her sleeves and became directly involved in um, celebrating, finding, discovering, celebrating Iranian mm -hmm. art and Iranian culture, and that's what that episode was about, featuring uh, Dr. Leila Diba. Mm -hmm. yeah. Important work. Uh, and then we have Melody Avakia, who takes a very different stance. She says, Farah did contribute to the art scene of Iran, but at the same time, while she was worried about which painting to bring to Iran, there were people suffering from not having access to basic food and water. I mean, granted, I'm sure there are still people in Iran who are in the same situation, so I guess more of the same. Big dislike to any monarchy. Ooh, la la. Okay. Right. Thank you, Melody. Oh, wow. Uh, and then we have a uh, Thomas David, uh, not an Iranian name, but nonetheless, he says, Thank you, Mother of Iran. Return to your homeland as soon as possible. We are looking forward to it. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I suppose Thomas means you, Kian. <laughs> that was not Mother me. No, I did not write that. It probably means no. Farah Diba. <laughs> some, some Iranians change their name, you know, both first and last, so who knows. Uh, we have uh, Kurush the second Salimi wrote saying, <clears throat> Let me clear my throat. This one's a doozy. <laughs> he says, three points I would like to add after listening to this interesting interview. On point one, Dr. Leila S. Diba is wrong. She's saying that the concept of royal treasury or khazaneh belongs to the Timurid or Safavid era. While even during the Achaemenid uh, period, we have had khazaneh shahi, not just in Perspolis Palace, but also in Apadana Palace in Susa. Point two, I am sincerely thankful to Her Majesty Shabanu uh, Farah Pahlavi and her team, including Dr. Leila Estiba, and those brave patriotic Iranians who took care of Iranian museums during the 1979 chaos and up to now. Point three, another thing which was really annoying, the interviewer didn't call her Imperial Majesty Empress Farah Pahlavi <laughs> by at least the title of Shabanu. Is he coming from a leftist, communist, Islamist family or what? Well, anyway, thanks to him for this podcast. Much appreciated. What do you have to say for yourself? Well, <laughs> I'm not sure I could keep up with all those titles that uh, I was supposed to read, but uh, I can assure the writer that um, <laughs> my family was, uh, is and was not a leftist, communist, Islamist family. That's for sure. I'll assure you of that. Come on, Gian, tell us the truth. <laughs> yeah, you, I was waiting for you. Are you related to Khomeini? <laughs> <laughs> a leftist, communist, Islamist. I mean, uh, all three. <laughs> all yes, one. Yes, <laughs> you find all three. In my well, uh, Amir Manu wrote saying, My question is, for how long after one is king or queen should you still refer to them by their title? <laughs> and I'm not talking about monarchy fanatics or hardcore dummies. 
Generally speaking. And then in brackets he wrote, because she ain't the queen no more, baby. <laughs> oh, my God. That is harsh. <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting, you know, I think if we were, uh, that, that it's an interesting question. It's a good, uh, you know, it's, yeah. it might be a funny Depends letter. Depends on which. If you were not Iranian, or if you're referring to a, a mm. monarch from, uh, from uh, an, another culture, another country, who's no longer a sitting monarch, and you mm. said this is King, what's her? You know, well, they would say, well, is it still King? It I mean, will give me an example. Who used to be Queen and isn't anymore that isn't from Iran? Is there an, another example of this? I don't think so, because usually right. when you're King or Queen, you're King or Queen for life. Other, you're. But I don't un- know un- of any other. Overthrown. I don't know of any other. Cases. But the closest example would be a president, a former president. Still refers to as former president. president. I don't know if that's the closest example. That's not the closest. I'm trying to think of another king. <laughs> like in Europe, queen. I don't know. Like uh, th- I think they're deceased. A lot of the queens and kings that mm. once were mm-hmm. in a position. But if they're not deceased, but they're no longer in power, I mean, it's a good, uh, who knows? I don't know. We we'll probably there's won't no solve it right now. It's an interesting <laughs> question. I'm Maybe sure there's an answer, the and I'm it. sure we'll get letters about it. <laughs> so bring them. You know, give me the long list of things I have to say <laughs> for a dear fat fat levy before her name. You can't please everyone. <laughs> Everybody, let's just face it. Cool. Uh, Karim Kanyon wrote, If Farah was the queen of Iran still, all of you who now so passionately speak of her would have hated her guts. Mm. You're only missing them because they're not around. Stop being so dramatic and emotional. That's why we are where we are. We never bother to find out the whole truth about our past. The Pahlavi weren't that great man. If they were, there wouldn't have been a revolution. All right. All right. Karim. A lot of opposition. Yeah. It was a diversity of opinion. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Mojgan Bigdelo wrote, uh, Our gratitude to all the people who had worked and support the Pahlavi family in their mission to build a country that we all miss. All right. Khob. On episode 151, we had a feature interview with Iranian-American tech entrepreneur, investor, CEO, and co-founder of the education nonprofit Code.org, Hadi Partovi. Mm -hmm. That was a really good episode, actually. We have a writer uh, by the name of Zoe Meh wrote saying, This one was quite an inspiration. I've started my path in programming recently and really appreciate him and his work. I'm proud of him. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Shahla Tahir wrote, It was a fantastic interview for many points of view. I just compare what he does for helping people to learn technology to Iran. In Iran, they are opening a new branch at the University for Students to learn how to force people to live according to Islam's rules. (laughs) They learn how to punish people who do not obey. It will continue up to high levels, and these people become professors in this branch. I got tears just thinking about it. Best wishes for you and your wonderful program. Oh. Yeah, beautiful. Letter of the week time. Ooh. All right. Uh, this letter of the week goes uh, to, the, to what's her name? He, he or she, Isis R. So it's uh, it's t- uh, the episode on um, how the Iran-Iraq war benefited Khomeini, which was mm-hmm. part four of uh, the contemporary history of Iran. So what was the username again? Isis, last name R. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. Uh, he or she wrote. I think it's probably she. 
You think? Yeah, it's a Isis. Isis. It Isis? was a cool name. Before. It was an Egyptian <laughs> god goddess. Yes. Right? I had okay. a. I know. I, I, it was I, such I a have cool a friend name. named Isis, and I, I oh, felt Shay. bad for her sometime right. around 2005. That's when I was right. Like, oh boy, here it we go. It used to be yeah. a beautiful name. Yeah. Uh, it still is, in my opinion. Or maybe 2015. Yeah. I mean, it's the last few years, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Anyway, uh, she wrote, "Thank you for this brilliant series. As a non-Persian, oh. but nonetheless a big fan of Persian culture and history, this is such a treat." Oh, Isn't right. That, lovely? Yeah, that is a good letter. A non-Persian. A non-Persian yeah. checking out the contemporary history of Iran. Yeah. When the real people who should be listening are these Persians who know nothing <laughs> of our history. <laughs> thank you so much, Isis. What a great letter. And uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Captain Reza, Groovy Shia. Okay. And uh, the fabulous Keon. Manam Khaish Mukuna. Thank you to all of you. This is full time for Rook for today. Our website, rookmedia.com, is where to find all things Rook. Rookmedia.com. Our previous episodes, videos, guests. Episodes of the Contemporary History of Iran, rookmedia.com. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Sponsor the artists, Super Parisa, Savi Roja, Marai Merdod, producer Susan, Captain Reza, and Groovy Shaya, and the fabulous Keon. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe if you have not done so already. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Gian Gomeshi. And as ever, in the meantime, Mizun Bashir.